We're hanging out in the garage this week on F1 Break Check. We'll be previewing the Singapore Grand Prix, talking about teammates, both good and bad, and the latest news. All this and more on the latest edition of F1 Break Check. Welcome. You are listening to F1 Break Check, the epic podcast for all things Formula One, where we discuss technology, history, news, and perspective. With your hosts, Scott Vick and Corey Green. All right, welcome back to F1 Break Check. This week, we're going to be previewing the Singapore Grand Prix. One of the few, what I consider a good street course, because it's really a great layout. It has some really technical bits to it that require drivers and the teams to find the right compromise between on the setup. And it also has the distinction of being the first night race in Formula One. Turns out, though, that they're doing construction in the area. And apparently that what used to be turn 15, instead, they're going to go on straight into what ended up being turn 16 and 17 that went underneath the grandstands and everything. So they're taking out part of that section between 16 and 17 and kind of reprofiling and everything. So What's now the it's going to that? Do you know? It didn't say in the news article that I read whether it was road construction or if it was building construction, because, you know, Singapore seemed to be under construction all the time. <laughs> so my sneaking suspicion is, is probably there's a building or something that's going up in that general area and everything in the marina. You know, I've always been curious, why is Singapore a night race? And I always thought it was time zone related, but it's not that way in Australia. So why is it a night race? Mostly it's just a gimmick. Oh, um, yeah, it yeah. Was, yeah, it right. was something that they tried out had a great response they did it partly because the first few years that they ran it it was always really like most of singapore it's very hot and very humid mm. and so they were trying to avoid some of the heat they came up with the idea of well we want to have it in singapore but let's do it at night we're going to take we're going to set up the, these huge lights all the way around the circuit and set that up so that we can take and go racing after dark to take and try to mitigate some of the heat issues mm-hmm. it makes complete so sense. that's mostly why it was sure. runner night I've never been to singapore i didn't know that it was hot and humid during the day so that, that makes complete sense yeah it's, it's a lot like the philippines and other countries in that part of the world where it's just it's very hot but it's also very very humid so it's like florida I mean, yeah exactly it's very much like florida you know where it's like here in texas where you and i are at we think of hot and we think 110 115 degrees but it's relatively dry most of the time. Yeah. And whereas over there, it's like when we're talking hot, we're talking like mid to high 90s, but it's like 90% humidity and everything. So it's like basically you yeah. walk straight into a sauna. <laughs> yeah, that's Florida. <laughs> you, yeah, pretty much. Exactly. It's pretty much just like Florida. <laughs> or Houston. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or Houston. Yes. That guess we need to make that differentiation that yeah, we're Corey and I are in the DFW area between Dallas and Fort Worth. But down south around the Houston area, it gets warm, but it also gets really, really humid, unlike where we're at, where it's a little more arid and everything. So <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> hey, to so, change subjects yeah, so- real quick, uh go getting away from racing. So Friday, Scott and I hung out. And uh, whenever we hang out, we always go to do some dinner and then we always go to cigar and uh, have some scotch or whiskey afterwards. It's a crux, but I don't I don't remember the cigar type. Yes. And it would actually it was uh, the crux bull and bear. 
is what it's there called. There you go. That's it. Yeah. So the tasting notes on it are smoky and sweet. It's not like it's a flavored cigar or anything, but it's right. like those are the, some of the tasting yeah. notes on it. Yeah. And I would say that that's, uh, that's a pretty accurate description of it. it. We were also drinking a very smoky scotch as well that night, and the two of them paired together just oh, amazingly. Perfect. I don't know if it was that or it was sake before we had, you know, before we went. <laughs> it could be a little <laughs> bit of both. <laughs> Oh, that was good. Good job. Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. So, All right. so let's talk news. Go back. So, yeah, let's go back. Yeah, to let's, let's, yeah. yeah, we're back. Uh, let's talk news. What have you got? Anything in particular yeah, catch your, your, you know, your interest actually, this week? I, I'm a big fan of Mick uh, Schumacher, and I'd like to talk mm-hmm. about that for a little bit. A, little bit. a couple of days ago, Peter Wolf was saying, hey, we need to get this guy a seat. He's good. You know, we need mm-hmm. to get him out. All the testing, all the simulator work that he's doing, he's just been fantastic. We need to get him in a seat. Very similar to what Christian Horner was talking about, Albon. He was too mm-hmm. good to be a, a second place uh, a driver. He needs to be, a, mm-hmm. be out there. And obviously, I don't know behind the scenes with Haas or what have you, but I think he was just done not right at Haas. No, whatever I, that I, was, I won't point fingers again because I, I I'm not in the know there. But outsider looking in, <laughs> I don't think he was done right there. So I seeing him, I, I think that it would be fantastic to see him in a car again. Rumblings, maybe, maybe he re- replaces uh, Logan Sargent at uh, Williams, mm-hmm. which I mean, still in the Mercedes family. Yes, something that can beat Haas going backwards. so he's gonna be good i mean yeah that happens you know obviously i I want logan Sargent to to do well but i don't know if he's ready at this point you know what i mean he just yeah uh, he has some glimmers here and there but for the most part i just i'm not seeing that transition going from where he was in in f2 f3 and, and where he should be going and F1 this late in the season. So what are your thoughts on on Sargent? Well, actually, I got, you know, a little bit on everything here. So, okay, <laughs> first of all, some of the things that I have read and some of the things that I have heard that are unofficial, that, that was told to me off the record, there was a couple things with Schumacher. One, Schumacher and K-Mag did not wow. get along at, really? at all. Really? Wow. They, it, it was very acrimonious there. Second thing was, is that Hulkenberg brought in an infusion of cash yeah. that oh. Haas needed that Schumacher couldn't provide despite his family's name and his potential to bring in sponsors it just wasn't there and so that's kind of why he got dealt dirty by Haas you know now how much of that was also came down to the feelings behind Gunther and how much Gene Haas the owner of the team how much of that came down to them as well there's rumors there was also some butting of heads you know with management but I don't know if that was legit or not but it just I think it was a number of factors you know not bad blood because it was it wasn't quite to that point but it was just there was some there was some hurt feelings and things like that that kind of led to him being let go that's what i'm going to say about schumacher and and i do agree with you do i think that he's as good as his father was no do i think that he has the ability to rally and get the best out of a team like his father could maybe if he was put into the right situation but unlike his father who could come into a situation stone cold and within a few years, rally a team around him. I think Mick needs a little more of, a, of the right situation. Yeah, I don't think he can just walk in anywhere and do that. 
but yeah. I could be wrong. Now, as far as Sergeant goes, yeah, I agree that Sergeant has had some teething problems, but at the same time, right now with the popularity of Formula One in the U.S., we need a American driver in Formula One. We need somebody who can get on Drive to Survive and continue to sell the sport. And by having a, an American in a race seat, at least for one more year, is really what the sport needs. You know, I, I agree that Mick really needs to be on the grid, not as a backup driver, yeah. not as a test driver, not as a reserve. He needs to be there competing. If Williams does decide to replace Sargent with Mick, I'm not going to be unhappy. Yeah. If Mick ends up having to go to another team so that Logan can keep his seat, I'm happy there as well. So, so let's, let's talk about that. Let's dive into that. Okay. A little bit. Yeah. So let's take out our tarot cards and, and read the, <laughs> the tea leaves, right? Yes. Let's say it's three months down the line. What do we see? Who's opening up? What drivers get dropped? What drivers go to other teams? What do you see happen? Okay, so a couple things that I see, depending upon how things shake out on the grid, here's going to be my bold predictions. I could be completely, I may be right, I may be completely wrong, but I'm just going to make some bold predictions and uh, see what you think. So first thing, Larson is going to still, is going to continue to completely impress mm. at AlphaTauri. He's going to impress them so much that when Daniel Ricardo is ready to come back, we're going to see the second driver take and get dropped from Toro Rosso. And I have a, I'm going to predict that Yuki's going to be gone and we're going to have a Ricardo Larson oh, wow. pair up at That's Alphatari. a bold statement there, bud. Yep. Uh, my second bold statement is, is yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion that Joe Granu is on the hot seat. And unless he takes and shows a, an impressive return to form, I can see him being dropped, even though they're not a Mercedes team. I can definitely see because of Mick's connections with Ferrari and the fact that Alfa Romeo is running Ferrari engines, I can definitely see Mick getting slotted in in Granu's place. That's my second bold prediction. And That's my third bold one. prediction like that is, is that Logan is the last two races, mechanical failures aside, he has shown a much better turn of pace in the Williams. Both races got out of Q1 into Q2, um, and in fact, got even got into Q3 at Zanfort. I'm also going to predict that they that Williams will extend his contract for one more year. So there's there's my third pred bold prediction. So wow. <laughs> your turn. <laughs> so let's hear your predictions. Yeah. So uh, my prediction is Sergeant gets dropped. He's he's gone. I. You know, I see too many similarities between how the teams are treating him and the way that the teams treated Danny Rick before he was dropped, the, the way that they treated even Mick before he was dropped. So I, I don't see Sargent carrying on. Now, you do bring up a great point. What happens to the American uh, viewership if he gets dropped? Because then we don't have any Americans as drivers. I just don't see Williams, especially as great of a car as they have now, I just don't see Williams hanging on to somebody unless they're paid gobs of money. I don't see them hanging on to him just for that reason. So I, I definitely see that there's a change coming. Now, whether or not that Mick takes that place. I think that that's probably what would happen because it's just right there in, in the Mercedes family. I just, I, I see that. The beginning of the season, I think we even talked about this where Joe, he was doing really, really well, but he has really gone. He's really slumped. He's, he's done a, uh, he's done a Checo. Yeah. <laughs> but he has not done but even Checo more so. And, yeah. He has, he's not come back like Checo has. So he's still having that problem. 
and whether or not that's a setup. But we're still seeing the, the same from Baltas. He mm-hmm. really has had some very forgettable races within the past, what, three or four races? Yes. Is that the car? Is that the setup? Is that the driver? But the, the one thing about Joe, though, he does have some spots of brilliance, but also he brings in an influx of cash with him, right? Very much so, yes. Botas is, I'm big Botas fan, love him to death. Yes. But he has not been oppressive either. So no. is this the team? Is this team strategy? Is this the car? Is this the actual drivers? Because again, you're looking at two drivers that beginning of the season looked good. I mean, Botas was even beating mm-hmm. Hamilton at some points. And now later in the season, you had the same drivers and you don't have that performance in the car anymore. So yeah. I, I don't know. So I, I don't see that. But I do see, you know, we did, you didn't talk about Ferrari. I don't see Ferrari <laughs> making a change. I don't. No, Earlier in the I, season, I thought they were chopping around. But I don't think that they are now. I think no, they're very happy with who they have. This last race, especially, yes. I think really solidified both of their spots at Ferrari. So I don't see them making a move no. at all. Red Bull's not going to make a move. Nope. Ferrari's not going to make a move. Mercedes, Mercedes you know, yeah. yeah, we've already seen that they've already, you know, we talked about it last week after Monza that locked up both drivers through 2025. Mercedes isn't going to make any kind of moves. I I believe Alonso has one more year at Aston Martin, so they're not going to be making any moves, you know, because, you know, Stroll's not going anywhere, at least was for the time being, okay. until, you know, da- <laughs> until daddy decides that competitive advantage is more right. important than nepotism. Stroll's not going to go anywhere. There's not going to be any kind of change there. The same thing with McLaren is both, you know, the McLaren drivers are locked up for long term. And both Lando and Piastri have really impressed this year. Piastri especially, neither one of them are going anywhere. The, any changes that we're going to see as far as driver pairings or, you know, seats opening up are all going to come to the back half of the grid. Yep. One thing I wanted to interject, something that you said about Sargent, though, too, is the thing that we have to remember, though, is that you, I made the comment about, you know, ha- seeing a yank on Drive to Survive, you know, talking and everything. The thing is, is that Drive to Survive is being filmed now. It's filmed during the season and then they drop it, drop it all together yeah. and they actually, you know, release it a couple of weeks before the next Formula One season. So everything that we see late January, early February that will come out when Netflix releases it mm-hmm. will all be from this year. So we're going to see Sargent in there. So it's that's the other thing that we have to think about, though, is not just it, will it be good for the American viewership to see an American on Drive to Survive? But if he gets axed and if he gets dealt really dirty, you can see probably some backlash, maybe against Williams, maybe against Formula One itself, because people will be turned off by, you know, hey, they never gave the kid a chance or anything either. I saw you were talking about how Lando's locked up, but I did see for the first time, I saw that Lando, he was being interviewed a few days ago. For the first time, I actually heard him say, he wouldn't mind being paired up with Max. I haven't ever heard him say anything other than, I want to stay in McLaren. I'm staying mm-hmm. in McLaren. This is the first time he's like, well, maybe I'd be open to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so I think be it, interesting, you know. It, oh, know, my God. That, that is a driver pairing that gets me really, really excited. Oh, yeah. No, they are very good friends. You know, they came up through yep. karting together and everything. So it's one of those situations where it could be really, really good. 
or it could be really, or it could go pear shaped really, <laughs> really quickly. Way. They're both nice guys, but they're both have that killer instinct that you have to have in order to be at the sharp end of the grid in Formula yep. One. They both have that killer instinct, and how much of it will they push friendship aside to get that win? The other thing I want to talk about is uh, Danny Rick. Mm-hmm. So it's released today that he definitely is going to miss Singapore more mm-hmm. than likely. He's going to be out for two total races. Yes. So that one mistake that he made, not not just crashing, but leaving his hands in the steering wheel, which, mm-hmm. you know, you shouldn't do. You should you know, cross your arms. Yep, you're about to, absolutely. Who knows? Maybe it happened too fast. It's just reactions. Whatever happened. I think that was a lot of it right there. Yeah. Yeah. Just I think he was more surprised at that other car trying to avoid it and just he was just going too fast, and mm-hmm. it is what happens. So, yeah, he's out for two races. Lawson's in for, mm-hmm. the, for another two races to showcase his abilities yet again to yep. all the teams. So Exactly. That's why I made the bold prediction that if he still continues to impress like he has over the next two races, when Danny Rick comes back, they'll slot Danny Rick back in, and Lawson will go back to his reserve driver status. I made the bold prediction that they might yank Yuki for the last race or two and yeah. slot Lawson in, or at the very least, they'll let him finish out the season, and then they'll replace, they'll replace Yuki him, over the over the winter with Lawson. I can see and that I definitely, too, man. I definitely can see that as a pairing next year of Danny Rick and Lawson. That would be an amazing pairing, I think. Yeah, because think think about how much Danny can teach Lawson. Oh, yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's what gets me excited is because Danny Rick's experience and Lawson's raw, unbridled speed and talent, everything that I've heard about Lawson and have read about him and everything is that the kid is just a sponge. That he right, comes yeah. in and he just, he comes in with no ego, no, I got this type thing. He just, he will sit with whoever he can learn from and he will soak up every last bit that he can wow. get out of them. Yes, I think that the wisdom that Ricardo has to impart and Lawson's humility combined with his raw talent and his willingness to learn. Oh my God, I can just see that just being an amazing pairing. Yeah, because I definitely think we're seeing one of the next stars in the making with Lawson. I think that now that he's gotten this chance and everything, I definitely can see he is somebody that we need to keep an eye on. Having watched him in the first two races and how much he improved, it's like what we talked about last week. He came in at the Dutch Grand Prix, literally in the middle of the weekend, thinking that he yeah. was just going to be an observer for a weekend. Yeah. Had, yeah. Just like you said uh, last podcast, you know, he didn't have yeah. a practice. He didn't have he a practice. Cold. Yes, he went in completely <laughs> cold into qualifying, qualified 20th, was quite a bit off the pace. But then look between Zanfort and Monza, he in seven days, he went from qualifying dead last to getting into Q2 on only his second time out. Race weekend, he finishes, I think, what was it, like 11th or 12th or something like that? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't that, far yeah. out of the points on his first try out in an F1 car. At Monza, he had a great showing and everything. So it's like just the amount of growth that he showed coming mm-hmm. in for, with absolutely no time in the car, going from completely cold to jump into the car for qualifying, then to do as well as he did during the race. He acquitted himself very, very well. And then just the growth to be able to take and go from qualifying dead last to qualifying in Q2, that just impresses the crap out of me. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. It's a little unfair to make a correlation with DeVries because DeVries came in and he had that one race 
And that one mm-hmm. race impressed everybody. And in fact, let, let's be honest, that one race pretty much sealed the deal on Latifi. First race, he beat Latifi and, and not by like a place or two. He beat yeah. him by, I think, six places. It, Something it like that. Yeah. Huge amount. Anyway, so yes. you had that and you saw what a great driver he could be. But then whether it's the pressure of F1, if it just him getting into it, whatever that was, he just pretty much self-destructed once he got that seat. But, you know, whereas with Lawson, I don't really see that. He Mm -hmm. has that pressure of F1 right now, and he's not decreasing. He's actually increasing. He's actually producing results versus always being in in the back of the pack, which if he were in the back of the pack, everybody would say, give him a pass. Okay, yeah, he's a a backup driver. Exactly. Whatever. But that's not him. You know, he's no. really pushing himself. He's really getting out there and fantastic to see. I love yes. seeing that type of, of work ethic. I do too. And it's it's the same as what we've what we've said before in the past uh, couple of podcasts about the same thing about Piastri, how oh, we yeah. really were not Look expecting down. a lot out of him yeah. when, you know, after all of the turmoil from last season. And then yeah. as more stuff came to light, we were more willing to give him a pass. And then at the beginning of the season, we were kind of down on him and everything because the McLaren at that time was so bad. Even by Zach Brown's own admission, the car was, they had gone in the completely wrong direction. They basically had to build a whole new car from scratch. But McLaren being McLaren took the lessons that they had learned from how bad that car was and turned it around. And once given the proper machinery, Piastri has impressed. Yeah. And he has done the same thing where with his work ethic, he could have very easily have just kind of tossed it in and gone out there and made up the numbers and stuff, you know, for, for that time. But no, I mean, he is it, now that he's got good machinery underneath him and he's learned a ton from Lando, Lando's couple of years of experience in F1 and between the two of them, they have impressed mightily. Yeah. And I think Lawson is doing the exact same thing. He's taking the opportunity that he has now and he's making the absolute most of it and he's doing everything he can to get the attention of the grid the only other thing that that i really had did you see the comments that total wolf made about verstappen's record-breaking 10th win and everything he made a comment about how it wasn't important you know the record wasn't important and it was just simply something for wikipedia and nobody reads wikipedia come on (laughs) i'm like dude yeah, I, yeah, I exactly. I can understand because, he's your competition, but come on, man, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, it just, it's you just it's just be a fan of and, racing first. Yeah, well, I think it's just really petty and everything. And Completely you know, it's petty. like when when Mercedes was winning everything, you know, yep. he he somebody had made a comment like that about Mercedes, he would have oh yeah. he would have had a been had a quick reply to it. I think Gerhard Berger had a really good quote about that that he said that I'm paraphrasing Berger here. But Gerhard Berger basically, in a nutshell, said, you're not on top at the moment, so but you need to just swallow it and get on with it instead of being petty and whiny like that. So, And I thought that was a pretty good... (laughs) (laughs) Because it is. It is whiny. Come on. Don't do that way. Exactly. Celebrate other people. That's okay. You know, you can do that. And still be a good boss, a good CEO. You still can be a good leader of, of your team. You don't have to go down that route. You know, you don't have yeah. to do that. Now, no, if he was doing something illegal or something like that, yeah, okay. By all means, have at it. But yeah, celebrate this guy's way. It, it's phenomenal what he's done. Whether you're yes. a fan of Max or you hate Red Bull, whatever, you have to still admit, look what this man has achieved. Yes, absolutely. And it's not like he's going against a bunch of rookie drivers. No. He's going against 
the best drivers truly in the world. It's, oh yeah, absolutely. You've got, you know, absolutely world-class drivers. Claire, and, you know, Lando, but, yeah. Signs, Fines. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lewis, <laughs> Russell. The best drivers yeah. in the world. Yes, absolutely. Again. I agree. It's very whiny and it's very, it's very petty and everything. And it's just like Toto needs to pull up his big boy pants and, you know, get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> so let's change subjects here a little bit. So we're yeah. one of the things we, I wanted to, we wanted to talk about this week is we were going to talk about, you know, we've been talking a lot about teammates and things like that. Now in the modern age, let's talk a little bit about teammates in history, not counting team pair on the grid right now. When I say teammates, who do you think of? Vettel and Danny Rick. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a good one. Kind of in that same vein, I think of Vettel and Mark Weber. That that was a a very that is a good one. Very that was a but it was a very fiery relationship. It was very acrimonious. Very quickly, <laughs> the disputes between Vettel and Mark Weber are, are legendary. So <laughs> I've actually got two pairs that I always think about when I think of teammates. One is Hamilton and Nico Rosberg. Oh, and how, yeah. How yeah, that was the nice one, one that went very fiery, very fast. <laughs> yeah. Nico was, from a number standpoint, technically Alonso and Hamilton, they were much more evenly matched. Mm -hmm. But Nico had so much raw speed that he took the fight to Max sometimes and they took they danced on that that ragged edge and it several times went over that ragged edge going after each other. They were the two fastest guys on the grid every single weekend there for a couple of years. They actually got to a point though there where they the two of them were not speaking whatsoever. Do you remember the famous cool down room where they had the cameras on and everything and it's like Nico just wouldn't even look at Lewis. If I remember correctly, Lewis won the race, but Nico came in either, I believe it was second, but it was like Nico was sitting in, in the cool down room and Lewis was talking to, I forgot who finished third in that race. They would not even acknowledge each other's presence <laughs> in, in the room. And then on the podium during the champagne spray, they were on opposite ends of the podium. The other pairing that I always think of, and this one is not so much for the fireworks that we saw between them, but it was for how sad it was. And that's uh, Mario Andretti and ronnie peterson peterson and andretti were teammates at lotus in 1978 and peterson was actually leading mario in the driver's championship and then tragically peterson was killed at monza that year it was sad that such a bright star in peterson was lost but it was also very sad because up to that time mario and ronnie were super close they were really, really tight friends. They spent a lot of time together. Their families, you know, vacation together, oh, things like that. From from what I've heard, Mario has been quoted as saying that after Ronnie died, he was friendly, but he no longer had any friends who were drivers because he never wanted to have to go through that wow. kind of grief again. He never hung out with other drivers outside of the track after the death of Ronnie. So I always thought that that was just kind of sad. And it's like, and Mario has always just seemed to carry that around with him and everything. So that, that's one of the ones that I always think of too, when I yeah. think of teammates, because nice. that 
they were such close friends and everything. They were, I mean, they were great competitors, but they raced each other clean. They rate, they both raced hard, but they never crossed that line. Another driver pairing you can think of that yeah. comes yeah. to mind. You know, uh, it's funny, but Botas and, and Lewis won so yeah. many together. Yeah, that's very true. And yeah. and Lewis has actually had just come out recently, very publicly said that Botas was the best teammate that he ever had that he was the most professional. I read those comments and I'm like, okay, well, how much is that? Because Lewis, he was fast. He occasionally had the measure of yeah. Lewis, but most of the time he was serving as the number two and did it Very quite you know, happily. Yeah. And it's like how much of it was because he was willing to de defer to Lewis and be the number two. And how much of it was is just because most of the time Lewis had the measure of him. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I've I've heard Botas say very favorable things about Lewis as well. Yes, so, so I, I. I really think that goes back and forth. But to your point, I really think that all things being equal, he probably would prefer if Botas was back in place. He has to be on his game all the time now. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Russell is man. He's fast. He is, and he's, he's very young. Yes, he's very young, very fast, and he gives no quarter to yeah no no you know even though he gives no deference to lewis just because of the fact that he's a seven-time world champion he's oh, you know he's out there it's like if i can beat lewis i'm gonna beat the pants off of him yeah. you know and i'm gonna do it week in and week out every chance yeah. i get i'm gonna take the fight to him and everything exactly so, well yeah. yeah i mean honestly he just he wants to win if it's lewis that's in his way or max or insert driver here mm -hmm. that's that's yes. where he wants to be so yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I were Lewis, I'd probably prefer somebody like Botas as well. This next one, I know that you're gonna you're gonna know the names, but you may not know as much of the history behind them. I grew up watching these guys and the fireworks between them and everything. So Prost and Senna. Yep. 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 Now you want to talk about a pair that much like Hamilton and Rosberg eventually got to the point where Senna refused to talk to Prost at all. No kidding. And Oh, yeah. Especially after the events of 89, when they collided at Suzuka in a very tight race for the championship, Prost was out, Senna carried on, and then, but because of Prost and his political wrangling with, with F1 and the stewards, got Senna disqualified and therefore won the championship because wow. Senna won the race because he was able to continue after they collided. But because he had to take a exit road to get back to the track, he rejoins the race. I want to say it was in either fourth or fifth place, but he comes back on the track in fourth or fifth place, goes on, you know, hunts down the leaders, ends up taking the lead, wins the race, and therefore thinks that he's won the championship and, you know, back-to-back -back championships and, and then gets disqualified after the race. Because Prost went and said, no, 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 he took the exit road. And after that, he's so pissed. Oh, and then, at, well, it was after that, Sinner refused to talk to him at all. And Don't actually, yeah. And then, and actually later on, when Sinner went to Williams, Prost had decided to retire and Sinner had decided to leave McLaren and go to Williams. And then Prost, when Senna was coming to Williams, kind of wavered on his retirement, only to find out that Senna actually had veto power over whoever his partner was. Senna said, if Prost is retiring, he's gone. It's like he can't change his mind and decide he wants to stay. 
at Williams. He's gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that that's a pair for that's one of the pairs for the ages. Another one that I grew up with that I will always stick out in my mind was is Mansell and PK. So Nigel Manson and Nelson PK, who were teammates at Williams for uh, two years. And they were already rivals before they were teammates. So when Piquet arrived uh, alongside Mansell at Williams, it was just, it was fireworks almost from the outset. And because as we've famously talked about, the reason why Mansell was such a great driver is just because he would take just absolute crap cars and hustle them around. The way his driving style was, is he preferred a car that he just had to absolutely fight (laughs) <laughs> to you know he would just in order to be fast he would just literally manhandle the car and that's part of what endured him to a lot of the fans first the british fans and then fans around the world you know when he went to ferrari especially the italian fans the italian fans oh, still sure. talk about him in reverence of Leon, the lion and everything because of his exploits at ferrari and everything and what he did awesome. with the car and stuff so yeah you know yeah. But yeah, so it was just an absolutely titanic battles between Mansell and Piquet. It had not been for the tire failure at the Australian Grand Prix, you know, Mansell would have won the championship that year. And because of that, Piquet thought he had the championship sewn up and then Prost comes along and pips him at the end of the race. (laughs) And ends up snatching the championship from him. So yeah, exactly. So, but then unfortunately Mansell didn't have as good a year in 87. And so PK got the better of him and ended up winning the the championship. And that kind of is what led to the departure of Mansell for Ferrari. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and as Mansell wrote in his autobiography that He was so honored to be the last driver chosen by Enzo Ferrari for the Ferrari F1 team. He was the last one that was picked and signed by, because it was only a few weeks into the season, as we talked about last week, only it was only a couple weeks before Monza that Enzo Ferrari died. The only problem with the Ferraris at the time was just the unreliability. But, you know, when the car was there and it was reliable, yeah. Mansell could hustle that car around like nobody's business. So it was very spectacular to get to watch him do that. The last ones that we're going to talk about, and this is one of those ones that ended another one of the the tragic endings, Gilles Villeneuve and Dieter Peroni, when they were driving together at Ferrari, very early on in their time together as teammates. So initially, Villeneuve got along really well with Peroni when he was first brought onto the Ferrari team and everything. It soured very quickly, eventually to the point where Villeneuve said he would never speak to Peroni again. And then in 1982 at the San Marino Grand Prix, Villeneuve and Peroni were comfortably ahead of the rest of the field, the two Renaults retiring there this was during the turbo era when the renaults were producing such tremendous power and they were extremely fast but they were so fragile that they very rarely finished races because the engines would blow up because of their advantage once the two renaults retired they were told to slow down and preserve cars for the win and everything because again this was in the era where the cars from the top to the bottom of the grid were all very fragile and they were all very prone to mechanical breakdowns engines blowing up transmissions dying things like that so they swapped positions several times and in the end peroni passed villeneuve to take the win when villeneuve had been instructed to hold station that he was going to be given the win 
and that Peroni was not supposed to pass him. So after that, they he never spoke to Peroni again. And then two weeks later at the Zolder track at the Grand Prix, Villeneuve was killed because during qualifying, Peroni had a faster lap. Villeneuve went out on the track. A lot of people said that he was just simply trying to go faster than Peroni. And that led to, there's been a lot of conjecture of whether it was a driver mistake or whether it was a mechanical failure. I think the official story was that it was a mechanical failure. Unfortunately, it led to the tragic death of Villeneuve when he was just at the time really on the ascension of his time in Formula One. And he was a very much a bright light, not just as a driver, but also as just a great human being. Like a lot of drivers in Formula One, he was taken from us just way too soon. All right, then. Well, what do you think we ought to wrap it up for this week? Yeah, I think we're good. Okay, yeah. sounds great. All right, folks. So we'll be coming back to you in a couple of days time. We'll be talking about the history of the Singapore Grand Prix. We'll be talking about the news and race results from the Grand Prix. And we'll have a really cool tech corner for you. So until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to F1 Great Show. If you have enjoyed what you heard, don't miss a single episode by hitting that subscribe button in your favorite podcatcher. Also, help us grow by sharing us with your friends and fellow F1 fans. We value your feedback and passion, so please take a moment to review our podcast. Your reviews help us grow and improve, and it means the world to us. Share your thoughts, rate us, and let us know how we can make the show experience even better. F1 Break Check is a production of Break Check Media. For your hosts Scott Dick and Corey Broom, until next time stay inside track limits, and try not to pitch it in the kitty litter.